It's good to see you here on this Super Bowl Sunday. On these uh, occasions, people like to make predictions on the outcome, and then they are kind of embarrassed that they don't get it right. So I never enter into predictions, but this morning I'm going to make an exception. I am going to make a prediction. During the halftime show, Justin Timberlake will probably sing Can't Stop the Feeling, just letting you know. And uh, that's actually the only song I know that he sings, uh, <laughs> thanks to trolls, right? All right. Uh, and I think he'll probably sing a Prince song. You can figure that one out. And it's too bad, but he probably won't sing Bye Bye Bye, but that's all right. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, that is good. You're in a good place. Stay right there. Well, you know, many tonight will be gathering together to have fun, enjoy themselves. But there are, there are those within our congregation that are going through a hard time right now. And I want to um, specifically pray for uh, one of our missionaries. She was a Northwestern student, went through here, and we sent her out. Danielle McBride, um, she's having surgery tomorrow to remove a brain tumor. And so I want to pray for her and a variety of other things as well. So let's go ahead and pray right now. Lord, I can think of many things to pray about. And this morning I want to bring three people to you. Pray for Danielle. And we just come before you and pray specifically for the surgical team, especially Dr. Chu that they would have the ability to make split-second decisions, and that they would have clear thinking and your guidance. Also pray that no part of the tumor will need to be left behind, so that no follow-up radiation or additional procedures are needed. We pray for complete healing and restoration with no permanent loss of skills, motor skills or vision or anything else. Pray for Danielle's family, neighbors, and friends who don't know Jesus, and they would see your work in this situation and turn to you and give you glory. And we pray for Danielle's mind and heart to rest in Jesus' kindness and care. Lord, we also pray for Tammy Scholl, who lost her mother this week, and she is traveling to California Pray for her and for Ken and for their kids that you would give them comfort and peace and may your light shine in darkness. And we pray for our brother Ben who's here this morning um, dealing with a um, known and unknown illness. I just ask you to give him healing and give him peace. Let him know that you're with him. And, Lord, I know we we have a lot of things going on in our life. We get excited about football. We see issues going on in our culture. But a lot of us are suffering. And I just ask that even those that weren't spoken this morning, that you would minister to them in your special way like only you can. And as we get into your word, may you speak truth to us. In Jesus' name, amen. This past week I was in warm San Antonio, Texas. It was about 60 degrees warmer on Thursday there than here. 
I was at a denominational theology conference. We're part of a denomination, if you guys didn't know that, called the Evangelical Free Church of America. And the topic at this theology conference centered on justice, compassion, and racial reconciliation. One of the highlights for me is I got to hear from uh, a very famous author and preacher and leader. His name is Dr. John Perkins. Uh, He's actually one year younger than Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And he was uh, speaking about the 50th uh, remembrance of Dr. King's uh, assassination along with his courageous work. And it was good to be with our brothers and sisters as we got into the word. Now, I knew that conference was coming, and so what I wanted to do is I want to put Colossians on hold this morning. So we're going to be taking a break from Colossians, and I want to return to a question that I asked about a year ago. Let me put the question up for you. What would it look like for EBF to flourish as a multi-ethnic, gospel-shaped church? One year ago, I asked that question to our congregation. And for those of you who were here, you got to witness a very embarrassing moment for me as my health broke when I asked that question. And I've still been recovering 12 months later. I don't want to get into all my health issues, and I don't want to be too dramatic. But it's almost as if I was addressing an ancient evil. And I was struck down by the enemy. I know that's being dramatic. It's like I looked at this evil history in the eye and was struck down. And feeling within my body the tensions in our world, in our nation, even within our church. But, even as I still deal with health issues, I'm going to push through and ask the question again. What would it look like for EBF to flourish as a multi-ethnic, gospel-shaped church? We are a church made up of different backgrounds, What would it look like for those of us from different backgrounds to flourish as a redeemed, diverse people reaching a diverse culture? And it's the question the elders have been intentionally trying to answer over the last year. And we want to keep pressing in and asking the questions of what would it look like to be this flourishing, multi-ethnic community, giving glory to God until we're in heaven with him, around the throne, worshiping with the nations. Today we're going to look at a text about unity within the body of Christ. It's a unity that has been brought about by the death of Jesus, who has reconciled people to God and to one another. And it's this point that I will say over and over again, The gospel not only has a vertical dimension of peace with God, but a horizontal one as well, peace with each other. Vertical, peace with God through the cross of Christ. Horizontal, peace with one another through the cross of Christ. 
We're going to study a passage in depth, and then near the end, I'm going to share a few things um, that the elders have wanted to work through with you on what it would look like to be a flourishing multi-ethnic church. So let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 11 through 18. Let's go ahead and stand as I read. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man and place the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Leading up to this passage, Paul says that Christians were dead in their sins and under the wrath of God. We were under the dominion of the world, the flesh, and the devil until God intervened. And God, in his great mercy and love, made us alive together with Christ. We have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. Now, what happens in this passage is that Paul moves from the individual, check this out, the individual vertical that he talked about in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and now he moves to the the corporate horizontal, verses 11 through 22. And and the two sections mirror each other and together present a, a sweeping picture of Christ's redemptive work. If we focus only on the individual vertical, or if we focus on only the corporate horizontal, we have an incomplete gospel. We have a truncated gospel. If we say it's all about this and ignore this, or say it's all about this and ignore this, we have a truncated incomplete gospel. And I was in San Antonio this week and listened to a variety of of speakers. We see often in history, but especially even in American history, we have this incomplete or truncated gospel. For example, in American history, 
slave owners were fine, for the most part, with their slaves getting religion, getting Jesus, hearing the gospel, and they would consider them spiritual equals. That was it. They were not necessarily made in the image of God, and they definitely weren't going to worship with them or treat them like human beings, truncated incomplete gospel. And then we move along in history, and we have Dr. Martin Luther King. And he's, he's pushing back against this incomplete gospel. As, as believers, like, well, let's just stay away from one another. <laughs> he's like, what? It's an incomplete gospel. Because when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about reconciliation with the Father as an individual and corporate reconciliation through the cross. Even in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, he had to confront the Apostle Peter to his face because the Apostle Peter, the great Apostle Peter, foolishly, foolishly separated from Gentile believers for fear of the Jews. Paul comes along, confronts him to his face, and the scriptures tell us because Peter's conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. We must be on our guard against an incomplete and truncated gospel. As we go through this passage, it is going to be heavy up here. Yes, we're going to do a little study, and then we'll get into some more of what it could look like at EBF. So stick with me, keep your head in the text, and keep your eyes down. You can look at me, of course, but here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Paul starts right in encouraging the Gentiles to remember their former state away from God. Unless you are a Jew, all of you fall into the category of Gentiles. And the Gentiles here were called the uncircumcision by the Jews. It's a derogatory nickname as they called themselves the circumcision. In the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign of the covenant relationship between God and man. So here we have the Jews once dissing the Gentiles because they weren't circumcised, they weren't part of the covenant or, or part of the people of God. One of the hostilities that you will often see when people go at each other, but people go at each other, they will use words to wound because out of the heart, right, comes from your heart. When the, out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And here you have the Jews dissing on the Gentiles. Verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul continues to tell the Gentiles to remember, remember their former state before salvation. Before they were believers, they were in a state of alienation. They were excluded from the blessings given to God's people, the Israelites. And this alienation and exclusion is five areas. 
says the Gentiles were separated from Christ. The Gentiles were not part of God's chosen people, Israel. The Gentiles had no part in the promises or pacts from God. The Gentiles had no hope at all in life. And the worst part that captures all of them is that the Gentiles were without God. Paul is commanding these Gentiles to remember being without God in order to fully understand and appreciate what God has done for them. He continues, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But now. Something significant has happened to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. They who were once far off have been brought near. In the Old Testament, the Jews were considered to be near to God. And the Gentiles were classified as far off from God. But not anymore. It's very clear that they have been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. And this coming near is only made possible through the blood of Christ shed on the cross. Those who put their faith and trust in Jesus and his work on the cross and his glorious resurrection can be brought near to God. So far, so good. But now it gets a little complicated. Try to stick with me. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. You see, what we have in verses 14 through 18, they're going to speak about how Christ is our peace. And this phrase, for he himself is our peace, functions as a type of heading for the rest of the section. Christ has taken Jews and Gentiles and made peace between them and God and one another. Once again, from this text, you can see that the gospel not only has a vertical dimension of peace with God, but also a horizontal one of peace with each other. And this gospel allows us to live in such a way with one another with empathy and compassion and hospitality and repentance and forgiveness and grace through the cross. Look how Jesus created this unity. It gets really technical here. Verse 14. Verse 14. He, in the middle there, he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances. We're told here that on the cross, Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. What is that? What is a dividing wall of hostility? Let's get technical. The Old Testament, Mosaic Law. Think of the Ten Commandments and broader. The Mosaic Law in and of itself created distinction between Jews and the rest of the pagan Gentile world. Remember, if you read the Old Testament, you see a lot of, a lot of interesting things there that the Jews are to be circumcised on a certain day. It talks about what the Jews could eat and not eat, what to wear and not wear, and where to worship and not to worship. So we have all these Old Testament laws that created a distinction between Israel and the Gentiles. And these laws were to protect the Jews from worldliness, and the Jews were to obey these laws as a witness to their neighbors of the greatness of God and his salvation. Unfortunately... 
the Jews took the law and became arrogant. They had a sinful response to the law. And this created hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. And this hostility between the two, because the Jews would take a position of superiority over the Gentiles, and of course the Gentiles didn't take that so well. And so we have this dividing wall of hostility. But this is really cool. During Paul's time, this dividing wall of hostility was easy to see in one particular instance. In fact, Paul probably has in mind the court of the Gentiles at the temple in Jerusalem. Let me show you this inscription. There was this inscription that was on the wall that divided the court of the Gentiles from the Jews at the temple in Jerusalem. Let me read to you. I, I, I can't read this language here, but let me put you a, a, a translation of what it says. This is what it says. Not one foreigner is to enter into the area which is around the sanctuary, barrier, and embankment. Whoever is seized will be liable himself for the death that shall follow. How about that? For a dividing wall of hostility. And this division in Jerusalem was very visible and intangible and expressed the way in the Gentiles and the Jews were divided from one another. So what's the solution? Well, what's the solution? Jesus died on the cross, and he broke down this wall. He broke down this wall of hostility that separated Jews from Gentiles. And in his flesh, he made the law out of order. That is, the law would no longer be the controlling basis by which a believing Jew would live his life. Thus, there would be no grounds of hostility between Jews and Gentiles in Christ. Jesus died on the cross. And in the flesh, look at it again in verse 15. In the flesh, he abolished the law of commandments and ordinances. <laughs> that doesn't mean that Jesus destroyed the Old Testament law. Matthew five seventeen, Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The idea of abolish has the thought of making obsolete or inoperative. It doesn't have the idea of to destroy. Christians are not people without law. We obey the law of God, but it is now what we would call the law of Christ. Jew and Gentile believers are both under Christ and his law. They're no longer under the hostility and condemnation created by the response to the Mosaic law. Summarize what we've said so far. Because of Christ's death, there is no longer any hostility created by the law between Jews and Gentiles in Christ. And the question you've got to ask yourself is, why did he do this? Let's keep going. Back to verse 15. Verse 15 says he did this that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. In Christ, there is one new man, no longer two, but one. Thus, there is peace. In Christ, there is a, a new humanity. In Christ, there is this unified new creation. 
There is no longer a division created by the law between believing Jews and believing Gentiles, but they are, they are now unified in this new creation in Christ. The hostility was too great, and the only solution was a new humanity in Jesus Christ. Jews do not become Gentiles, and Gentiles don't become Jews, but a new creation and humanity is created in Christ. Which brings us to the famous verse that you've heard in Galatians 3.28. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But be careful here. Be careful here. You've got to be careful because distinctions are not abolished. The Bible doesn't call us to be colorblind or to ignore cultural difference. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ saves us and places us in a unified family, but the distinctions of gender and age and the color of one's skin is not extinguished. And as brothers and sisters adopted into this new family called the church, you know what we're supposed to do? We're to celebrate each other's different stories. We're to learn about our different backgrounds. And you know what? At the end of the day, we can get together and and sit back and say, we have all these distinctions that should pull us apart. But we have this bond in Christ that transcends all of these differences and pulls us together as brothers and sisters in God's family. We should live this unified reality in Christ. Well, let's finish up the passage here. I want you to look at one more reason why Christ did away with the law. Verse 16. Verse 16 says, And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Christ made the law inoperative not only to reconcile us to each other, but also to God. And this was done by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. One body of people, the church, made up of Jews and Gentiles, have been reconciled to God through the cross. You see, not only was the hostility between Jews and Gentiles needed to be dealt with, but the hostility between God and humans had to be dealt with as well. Because we all have rebelled against God, and his wrath is upon us. Christ was killed And this hostility on the cross was aimed at him to reconcile us to God through faith. So here we have reconciliation all around. Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ have a vertical reconciliation with the Father and a horizontal reconciliation with one another. And this unified body in Christ is made up of believers. Believers only. But this salvation proclamation goes out to the entire human race. Jesus died for sinners throughout the world. Last two verses, verse 17 and 18. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Unbelieving Gentiles and unbelieving Jews, those who were considered far off and near, had the salvation proclaimed to them. Jesus, his peace was preached to them. 
And this is the gospel that we are commanded to preach to one another. We do not want to make distinctions with our own body. We don't want to have prejudice with our own body. So we don't want to make any distinctions or prejudices on who we share the gospel with. This gospel of peace must go out to all. There are a variety of passages in the Bible that talk about the unity of believers. And as we think about our church, Evanston Bible Fellowship, as I said over the last year, we've been asking the question of what would it look like for EBF to thrive as a multi-ethnic congregation. And the elders have spent a lot of time studying the scriptures we spend a lot of time thinking about our context, our ethos statements, and our mission here in Evanston. We've been praying, been seeking the face of God. We've sought outside counsel, and he listened to a lot of voices within the congregation. And we're, we're obviously still in process, just trying to lead faithfully, uh, and be faithful to the word of God. And, and we had a congregational meeting a couple of weeks ago that we were able to share some of these things, but obviously not all of you were there. And so I want to just share a few things. It's not, not everything. I mean, it was pages long. But um, I want to share with you just a few things that we believe that are going to help us become healthier, uh, a more mission-focused, Christ-exalting church, a family of believers that really lives out the miraculous picture of unity and diversity that we see here in this passage in Ephesians 2. So I'm just going to share with you like three action steps. There's other stuff to say, but I'm just going to share with you three We'll touch on these three, and it's going to have to do with community life, uh, evangelism, and leadership. So let me start with community life. The elders believe that our community life can be healthier than it is right now and more flourishing. We want everybody at our church, regardless of their background or ethnicity, to feel they have a voice and receive good pastoral care. We want new attenders to feel welcomed and integrated into the life of our community. And we want our, our ethos communities to just be more tight-knit and, and stronger. And this is a need within our church that we've wrestled with for quite some time. And, and now we want to be more proactive in addressing this need. And from our part, what we can do and have done is we want to create... Uh, a part-time staff position that we're calling the director of community life. And we're still finalizing all the details of the role. A part of it will have to do developing and overseeing the ethos community's ministry and also supporting the elder board in their work to grow EBF into a, a, a thriving multi-ethnic community. And we have begun planning for Gianluca Cueva to transition into this role beginning this summer. Gianluca has been an apprentice at EBF for the past year and a half, and he's a great brother in the Lord. You've heard him preach before. He's actually going to preach uh, next month as well. And he, he has such a heart and compassion and wisdom to care for people deeply. And we believe that his passion and gifting in this role and his background and training has prepared him well to grow us more and more in a community life as a multi-ethnic church because we want to flourish as we live this unified reality in Christ. But we don't want this flourishing and this gospel to terminate on us. We also want to share this gospel with people we work with, to share in Evanston, Chicago, and beyond. 
And we want to see more people in this diverse place where we live come to faith in Jesus and worship Jesus. And so we're going to try to devote more of our resources and a greater focus to our evangelistic mission in Evanston. And to that end, we're creating a a part-time staff position that we're going to call the Director of Outreach and Evangelism. And this staff member will be a catalyst for bringing the gospel to our local diverse community. And to that end, we're going to, by God's grace, uh, bring on Lance Evans to facilitate evangelism among the nations here in Evanston. And we're planning for Lance to step into this role beginning this summer. I don't know if you ever met Lance, but he's preached up here a few times. He's got such a heart for those who don't know Christ. And he has this contagious boldness to share the gospel. And he's been in a role similar to this. Um, I know most of you may know him as Athletes in Action as he's sharing the gospel in the Chicago area. But he was also a, a leader of an evangelistic ministry in a church in Los Angeles. Um, and he's been with us for three years. And Lance is, is, is great. He's a, he's a man of God who, who loves Jesus and wants to see people come to Christ. And we believe that in this present moment, God in his providence, that means in his sovereignty, he has brought John Luca and Lance. And these two men, they have, they have, they have gifted from their backgrounds, their gifts and their passions, and they closely align to the pressing needs of our church for this next season in our church life. So that's the idea behind community life and evangelism. And the last one I want to touch on is leadership. Leadership. Because we also want to have pastors and elders that promote this vertical and horizontal dimension of the gospel's work. The current elders are working at becoming more intentional about the discipleship of potential elders in our congregation. We want to be proactively identifying and investing in men whom we believe have the potential to eventually serve as elders. Each of the elders is now meeting with multiple men within our congregation. And the men we have begun to meet with reflect the diverse, multi-ethnic makeup of our membership. And we believe that as we improve the discipleship of these future and potential elders in our church, in, in time, we will have more and more reflection of this diversity of leadership within our congregation and also among the elders. And these leaders now and future leaders, we want them to continue to promote the gospel where we have the vertical dimension through the cross of Christ and the horizontal dimension through the cross of Christ. Because we're trying to live this reality of this new creation and humanity in Christ and live it within our church. And as the elders lead in this direction, we acknowledge that we have made mistakes And we will make mistakes. But we want to trust that God is going to honor our pursuit of him, flawed as it may be, and press on toward the goal of becoming more like Jesus. This is unbelievable. He has brought us from the nations and brought us together in Christ. This is wonderful. And we can have this unity. And we want to keep pressing and striving to become a thriving multi-ethnic church that is unified around Christ. We want people from all backgrounds to, to, to come in here and to be in their ethos communities and, and feel welcome and feel part of the church 
And we want all aspects of our community life to reflect that diversity so that God can be praised in our local community by us being a redeemed family who demonstrate real gospel unity and diversity. Let's pray. Father, you are good and gracious, and you have redeemed us from the nations, and you've made us your people. And in the days ahead, Lord, as we are, are striving to live together as your unified people, where grace needs to be extended, may it be extended. Where repentance needs to happen, may repentance happen. Where mercy needs to go forth, may it go forth. Where empathy and understanding and a, just a living life together. May we do it in such a way that brings you glory. You have established this church, and you have brought the people, everyone in here who's here now, for your glory. Show us how to live this unity in diversity because of the cross of Christ. In Jesus' name.